Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, our text today. We'll begin to think about that. It's around the same time of year, probably far earlier than most of you, that I uh, feel like listening to Nat King Cole and uh, Bing Crosby and John Gorka, who uh, was played so fabulously um, on our Christmas Eve service. It's around the same time of year that I want to pull out and dust off Charlie Brown Christmas special and um, Elf and Santa Claus has come to town, and of course, the greatest of all the Christmas movies, A Christmas Carol, the one with Alistair Sim, not the crappy Muppets version, Laura. And every year we fight over which one's better, and it's the one with Alistair Sim, just in case you didn't pick up on that. Every year we pull out the same tree, I fight with the lights, and I lose, and have to go to the store and buy new ones. I don't know why they can't make a strand that will last for more than one year, but apparently they can't. Every year we put out the same nativity scene. Every year we decorate with garland. Every year we tell the same stories. Every year we tell the same stories. As I was looking at this text um, that I'm going to be preaching on from Luke chapter 2, I realized that I have taught or preached um, or in some way communicated this text for the last 14 years of my life. I've told the same story And I thought to myself, I wonder if people ever grow tired of it, grow tired of hearing the story. I opened the text. Of course, it's our family tradition. We're opening the text and we're reading the scriptures. And um, I realized that I hadn't grown tired of it. I realized that uh, I don't want anything new. I don't want anything fancy. I kind of just want to hear the old, old story again. I want to hear about how a baby was born of all of the ridiculous things of a virgin. I want to hear about how her fiancé was doubtful when entering into marriage with her, and who can blame him. I want to hear about how his coming was foretold by prophets, seen in signs, heralded by angels, to shepherds, and to men that are foreign to God's grace. I want to hear again In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were, and I always think of it this way, sore afraid. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels had went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Woe! Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned then, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and all that they had heard as it had been told to them. Amen. So this morning, we see Joseph gathering up Mary and going back to Bethlehem. And this is an important thing. It, it fulfills prophecy. And that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who will be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, the ancient of days. And that's fantastic news. And I know that we don't get really excited about prophecy. It seems sort of distant from us, but we should be ecstatic and overjoyed because it shows that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And that's important for another reason. There was some talk last week that um, I didn't know how to use points correctly because if you were here last week, all of my points were the same. So I'm trying to illustrate that I can do points correctly. Also, this is just how my brain was working this week on lots of caffeine and eggnog. Where was I? Shows reliability of the Bible. Yep, exactly. So this shows the reliability of the Bible, that you can trust the Scriptures. And this is so important. You know, we... this is, if there's one thing that's an attack, if there's one thing that I think people are, are, are attacking these days, it's the reliability of the scriptures. And it would make sense that you would doubt it if this had all been written at one time. But it's not. The Bible didn't show up on the scene like this. It showed up in various manuscripts over centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And so the separation between what we see happening in Jesus and what we see prophesied in Micah is somewhere akin to 400 years. I mean, that's a huge, and we can trace these texts because we have manuscripts in different places and different times. The reliability of Scripture is manifested in the fact that Jesus fulfills the words of the prophets. Jesus fulfills the words of the prophets. And if we can be relied, if we can rely upon the Bible, this leads us to another conclusion. It shows the reliability of our faith. It means that if we read in the scriptures that God said the Messiah will come and it will look like this, and then we read, oh look, the Messiah came just as God said he would, then we can have confidence when we read things like, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. We can have confidence when we read things like, I will justify you before God. You know what that means? The songs that we sang where Jesus pardons and sanctifies me, that means that you are dead in your sins. That you are lost, as Paul's meditation was fantastic. I'm so sorry the thing wasn't on. Because 
his words were so spot on that sin is a crippling disease and we have forgotten its power. We think that we just have issues. We think we just have problems. We think we just have bad habits. No, you are dead to sin. You are separated from God. You do not belong in the presence of God. You belong in judgment and in hell. That is your place because from the tips of your toes to the top of your head, you are consumed with evil. And anyone who doubts that doesn't have children. We need salvation. We don't need to change our behavior. We need salvation. You don't need to set up a New Year's resolution. We need salvation. So if God says, I will justify you, that is, you were not just before me, you were unjust and therefore separated now and for all eternity, I will justify you. Then I will sanctify you. I will place my spirit in you so that you have a hunger now for the holy things of God, things that are not natural to you when you're in the flesh. Now you are hungry for the spiritual truth, the strong doctrine, good company. The things of God are now your desire. God says, I will do that. I will justify you. I'll sanctify you. And then what? The culmination of all of it. I will share my glory with you. We sang it in one of the, of the songs this morning. I can't remember which one. That we might be his righteousness. That people would see in us God himself and therefore glorify God. You are the glory of God. That's an incredible thought. It absolutely didn't come of you. It came as a gift from God, and that's incredible. And if we can see reliability in prophecy, we can see the reliability in the scriptures, if we can see reliability in our own lives where God has changed and sanctified and shaped us, we can have confidence when he says, I will raise you. I will raise you. We can have confidence in our faith. We can have trust in God. Secondly, I love this story here. I flipped and lost my place. In Luke chapter 2. Because we see evil at work. Right? In chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. We have this story of Joseph. Of taking Mary. And the reason that there is a census is for what? Anybody know? Taxes. Right? Taxes. And taxes that are going to fund the Roman military, the Roman economy, to line Roman pockets, right? This is nothing less than oppression. Nothing less than oppression. And yet, what is God doing with this oppression? He is fulfilling prophecy. He is taking the work of evil rulers and he is twisting it to his own desires that it would accomplish his own glorious will. That he would fulfill the words of the prophets by this petty act of Rome or from Rome. He's using that as a vehicle. And I think that's a pretty um, wonderful thought. I really do. Because I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what stress might be in your life. I don't know what evil might be... um, Forcing its way into your life. And the holidays are very stressful. Um, The world is very chaotic. Life is very hard. And what this means is that God can take that very hard. God can take that chaos. God can take that evil. God can take all of that. And he can use it to accomplish his will in your life. In fact, I dare say that is probably what God is doing. I think of Romans chapter 5 verses 
1 through 4, which say this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Isn't that an incredible thought? We, 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 have, we have received this justification, as I talked about just a second ago. We have now peace with God. I don't have to fear God in the sense of fearing punishment. I have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. I have been welcomed into a faith, into grace, which I can now stand, as Paul says, uh, or as we read in Hebrews, that we have confidence and access to God, that we can stand in confidence with access to God. We can rejoice in hope, but what can we rejoice in also? Our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which he has given to us. So never think your suffering is in vain. Never think your hard times are vanity. Never think that they're accomplishing nothing. Never think that this thing that you're going through right now is just, just, you are just caught in this tide of an evil world. No, God is taking all that is in your life and he is using it to produce hope, character, faith. He is taking all of your suffering and he is using it to accomplish his will and his purpose and his plans, so that he can bless you. As Paul says, the things that we go, we're going through right now, and if you remember Paul's life, it was a lot of things, right? Stonings, beatings, going to jail, and jails, like, like you didn't, jails are bad back then, much more so than now, really, really bad. Right? I've gone through all of this stuff, and what does he say? He says, these things that we're enduring, they are light and momentary, like they're nothing, it's vapor, it's mist, it's nothing compared to the glory of eternity. It's nothing compared to all that God wants to give you and all that he promises to give you. And so never let your heart be downcast in the midst of suffering, but rather let your struggles, your trials, your suffering, let it be to the glory of God because you know, you know, you know that it is working out glory and hope and salvation and redemption for you and for everyone around you that they can see God's work in your life. That's good news. That's good news. And that's what we see going on here with Mary and Joseph. I, I, I have this image of Mary traveling days and um, having remember, remembering Laura at the time of year um, or that time of carrying Emery. You know, like if it wasn't on a stretcher in an air-conditioned van, like, poor Mary. I just feel bad. Where were we? Good. Okay. So, um, they're, in, they're here in, in Bethlehem, and they've been here for some time. It says that while they were there, this, this, the time of it, the aspect of it uh, in Greek, gives us this idea that they've been there for a while. So they've been there for some time, right? And I want to clear up some misunderstandings because my nativity scene and the wonderful 1968 uh, Christmas special uh, the Little Drummer Boy, you should watch it if you didn't watch it yet this year. Give us the impression that Jesus was born in a barn. This is unlikely, mostly because they really didn't keep barns back then. 
um, but also unlikely because hospitality was very important, much more so in their culture than ours. And I know that we all have, and I know you experienced it this week, some family member who you're like keeping your fingers crossed that they get sick and don't show up. Don't pretend you don't, right? We do. But when that uncle shows up, when Uncle Eddie shows up with his very pregnant wife, and you say, you know, man, I wish Uncle Eddie wasn't here, you don't say to him, I know your wife's about to go into labor, and we, we just don't like you. I'm afraid you're going to have to go to the... No one does that, right? We have this word in, that we, and this is a really a tragic translation. This word in Greek means guest room. And so the houses in those days were one bedroom. It just would have been one bedroom, one story, little, little building with a, maybe a little raised area inside this one room. And on top, because the roofs were flat, on top you would have a, they would often build a guest room. Not everyone, but would build a guest room. And so there was no room for them in the guest room. Why is that? Well, because you also know when you travel home, and grandma and grandpa travel home too, grandma and grandpa get to bed and you sleep on the pullout, right? That's how it works. It worked that way back then. It works that way today. And so what we have in this story is not... The image of these like super poor people who are just like knocking on every, uh, every holiday in express that they can, but no one will let them in, and so they have to find some rundown. But no, that's not what we have in the story. What we have in the story is common people, regular people, who have been forced into a tough situation, and here they are. Here they are in a city that is crammed full and all of the guest rooms are full. It's craziness everywhere. No one is prepared for babies, right? They didn't have the pack and plays back then. I don't know if you realize this, but they didn't have pack and plays back then. And so we read that he was laid in the manger. Oh, what is that? That's a feeding trough. And the feeding troughs were inside the house. If you go online, you can search this. They have the, the ruins of these things. They were inside the house because you didn't leave animals outside at night. Why? Because you didn't want them to be stolen. So you bring them in. You didn't have huge flocks, right? This is, these are not the shepherds on the field. These are people who live in a city. So you bring your animals in and you have a small feeding trough. So they laid Jesus in this feeding trough inside the house. These are people who are doing the best that they can in a situation that's really difficult. I think that's really cool because I think all of us have been there, haven't we? Normal people trying to make sense and trying to figure out what to do when something strikes, like your wife goes into labor while you're not at home and they don't have hospitals and, and uh, Holiday Inn Expresses. So this is a story of regular people trying to make things work. And uh, they, you know... I don't know how many of you have been to somebody uh, giving birth. Um, there's a lot of craziness that goes on in that room. A lot of craziness. And, you know, Mary knows I'm giving birth to the Messiah. And, G- and, and Moses, or Moses, whoa. Uh, <laughs> wrong story. Joseph, thank you. Joseph knows what's going on as well. I'm, she's giving birth to the Messiah, and they've had visits from angels, and this is like, this is, there's a lot of backstory here. But if you've ever been in a room when a woman is giving birth, like all of that stuff, you're not thinking about those things, right? I mean, all you're thinking about is, oh, 
That's, I mean, that's all you're thinking about. And so this incredible thing is happening around them. And I just, I wonder, like at one, I, I just, I just don't think, and this is me, this is not in the Bible, this is my assumptions. So you take this or leave it, whatever. But I just don't think Mary, in the midst of her screaming, stopped and said, it's the Messiah, I'm so happy. They didn't have epidurals back then, right? So uh, what I think is interesting is that all of a sudden, God breaks back into the story. He comes and he visits shepherds. And he sends them to remind everyone, I think as much as it is to proclaim, to remind everyone this is an incredible thing. Which makes me stop and wonder about our lives and everything that's going on in your life. Because there's a lot of craziness and chaos, even if you're not pregnant right now. There's a lot of craziness and chaos in our lives. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of strife. There's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of trial. And as I said, God is using those troubles, those trials, to work out his own plans, to work out salvation and hope and glory for you to bear witness to people that in the midst of your struggles, you can, they can see God's glory at work because you still have your faith. You still have your hope. You still have your trust. And you stand out as the one person in the room who's not panicking. What an incredible thing that would be. The one person who's not panicking. And so wherever you are in the situation, I, I would encourage you to stop. Ask the question, what is God doing here? That's the shepherds. That's what they do. Uh, they're keeping watch over their flocks by night. And we have some weird thoughts about them as well. Weird thoughts about the shepherds as well. Hear people talk about them as being unclean or they were the outcasts of society or, you know, no one would have anything to do with the shepherds. Like, I'm not sure where all this comes from. It's not true. Who are the shepherds in the Bible? Abel. Abel was the good guy in the story, if you recall, right? Who else were shepherds? Well, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Amos, to name a few people. Uh, being, uh, they were a pastoral people. They kept sheep. This is not an outcast thing. This is, this is a day job. This is a job. These are regular guys who are pulling the night shift. That's what's happening here. And to these regular people, these common folk... Angels show up. They rend the heavens to herald the coming of a king. And what's really interesting is this word in your Bibles, if you look, let me find the verse here. Uh, Verse 10, I bring you good news. This is the word euangelion, which is, um, which is, that's the Greek word. And it was a political term. This is what somebody would do, a herald would do. And a herald was somebody who would go into the city and, and they would declare, hey, the king is coming, or a noble is coming, or a dignitary is coming. And so, you know, like, take a bath. Like, be presentable. Show up outside and cheer, you know, because if the king shows up, you have, to, you have to cheer. And certainly this herald would go all the way through the city to let everybody know, but where ultimately is the herald headed? What matters most? The rich people, Right? The, uh, the people who, are author- who have authority, the people who have the mansion on the hill, because, you know, the, the king is coming eventually to sup with them. We see this all the time. You have um, politicians that come by the coffee shop, right, and they, they schmooze for about a half an hour. You realize they don't care what you say, right? Like, their ultimate goal is that $100 plate donor dinner they're doing later on where everybody's wearing a tuxedo, That's the point. That's where we're headed. And so this is where the herald is. The herald is giving good news. I'm giving you this good news that the king is coming, but ultimately the person who needs to know most is the person who is going to be able to give the king that best and greatest donor dinner. And yet the the angels show up to who? 
shepherds, right? Shepherds who are going to offer the, the, I mean, they offer Jesus the sheep maybe, I guess. But what do they have to give? And these are who the angel shows up to. And that's, that's really cool and impressive to me because it reveals the absurdity of Scripture. It is absurd and even a little controversial to recognize that God does not seem to favor the rich, the powerful, the beautiful, the move makers, like the people who are making things happen. God seems to have this soft spot for common people. He has a soft spot for teenagers and children. He has a soft spot for tax collectors and people who are pulling night shifts. He has soft spots for people who are poor, who are struggling, for those who are meek and humble and poor in spirit. He has a soft spot for sinners. He seems to favor them. And so this absurdity of God's choosing might leave us to wonder if we should desire the rich to be powerful, to be influential, to be famous, to be beautiful even. Our society is obsessed with, is that yours? Man. You always know your, the own, your, your own scream, like your own kid's scream. It's so weird. Like, I'll sit there and somebody's screaming, like, I don't have to worry about that one. That's somebody else's business. <laughs> what were you saying? Oh, good. Yes, we are obsessed with beauty, aren't we? I mean, goodness sakes, we are so obsessed with beauty. You know what the scriptures taught us about Jesus? Isaiah 53, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus in his adult years would not have been the metrosexual hair model we see in the pictures that we put in children's classrooms. He would have been very plain. He would have been very common, which is good news to those of us like me, very plain and common, right? I mean, we are obsessed with the wrong things, people. Don't you see that this is at the core of what sin does to us? It corrupts the way we see the world because the way that God sees the world, he says you should adorn yourself with righteousness, with justice, with truth, with purity, with holiness, with obedience to God's word, with love for one another, care and concern for the marginalized, that we should have a heart that beats for the righteousness of God. Not after beauty, not after power, not after wealth, not after influence. These things are things that belong to this world, and they are, they're, they're time-stamped, right? I mean, they are going away. If you want to adorn yourself and make yourself beautiful, be holy. So that God can see you and say, ah, oh, that's my child. Mark yourself with the things that matter. These shepherds... Uh, are living proof of God's desire to reach out to those who are ordinary. And that brings us to a great truth. And that is that God chooses to use the small things in the world. Second, nope, I had it wrong. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 says this. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble of birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. No one could stand before God or in front of God or in the presence of God or near God and say, look at what I have done. It's so great. No. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's the very content of the angel's message, isn't it? They show up and they deliver this, the angel of the Lord delivers this good news of great joy, which will be to all people that today for you is born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the heavenly host rend the sky. It's like no one can be quiet. This news is so amazing. It's so incredible. It's so wonderful that the entire armies of heaven rip the sky and cry out, glory to God in the highest. That as we stand in awe of all that God has done, of all that God has given, of all that God has redeemed, of all that God has done in your own life and around you, what should we do? Give glory to God. How much glory? All the glory, the highest glory, the superlative of every form of glory goes to the superlative God. The God who chooses to reveal himself. And this is part of his glory, isn't it? This is part of the glory of God, that he chooses to reveal himself to common people so that no one might say, I am great, I am something, I am worth. What are the shepherds, what's their claim to fame? I'm a shepherd. Like, there is no claim to fame. Like, there's nothing there that, that, that God should come to them, and yet God, out of his grace, does. I love that line, and I'm glad that they've translated it a little bit better in some of the newer versions. Um, from verse 14 of chapter 2, Uh, of Luke there. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased or with those whom his favor rests on. That God has chosen certain people in the world. And who who are those people? He's chosen to reveal himself to common people. And that's good news. It's good news that God doesn't see us the way we see us. That when we look at the world and say, here's what matters most, God doesn't look at us the same way. For you today is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And what do the, um, what do the shepherds do? The message comes. can imagine the, 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 the chaos that was in the room. It wasn't a quiet night. Again, giving birth to babies and then new ones, they scream all the time. I, Emery like wouldn't, like she screamed. Laura was out. She was gone. They pumped her full of stuff. I don't know what it was, but it was strong. And Emery screamed, I don't know, for like hours. Like I, this kid just couldn't get her to be quiet. Like kids are not quiet. It's not quiet in that house. There's a lots of chaos. And shepherds burst in and they're like, is this, is this a baby in the media? Like they're, I, I can't even imagine all, all of the chaos that would have been going on there. And they're, they're talking to one another and they're, 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 sharing what they have seen, and, and Mary and Joseph are probably sharing what happened to them, and they're all conferring and, 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 and sh- sharing notes and wondering what's, what's going on here, and the shepherds leave, right? They go back to what they were doing. They return to a small, what everyone else would consider to be a small and significant life. What did you do with your life? I was a shepherd for 40 years. And yet God chose them, God spoke to them, God changed 
them because God takes common people and he changes them. I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again because it's a great story. Um, I met a friend of mine who I hadn't seen since my freshman year of high school. We were tight, really, really tight. Um, he was at my house every, every weekend uh, through middle school um, and then into high school until we moved and a little bit after we moved as well. But I hadn't seen him in like 10 years. And so we do what people do, you know. Uh, what do you do, and where have you been, and what's been going on? And he says, what do, you, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a preacher. And he said, you? What? I am living proof that God takes rubbish, and he redeems them, that he places his spirit in them to sanctify them, to grow them, that God takes common things and he makes them incredible. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or chapter 4 which says God places his treasure in this in jars of clay, not gold pots, right? Not goblets that are encrusted with gems. He takes jars of clay, frail, fragile things things that are not glorious, that are not beautiful, and he places inside of them the most glorious and beautiful thing possible, the good news of the coming of the Son of God. And then he takes that pot and he fills it with his own presence, with his own spirit, that he might sanctify and make holy this thing, which in and of itself is nothing, not sanctified, not holy, not special, but because of the grace of the Son of God, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, he has changed and glorified and sanctified you. That's good news. That's good news. So where do you find yourself this morning? with that good news? Have you accepted it? Have you trusted it? Have you put yourself fully into it? Have you been washed in the waters of baptism? Have you kept his commandments? Have you followed his ways? Let's not, uh, as Paul prayed earlier, let's not walk away from today. Let's not walk away from Christmas. Let's not walk away from the grace revealed and that nativity scene not changed. What decision do you need to make today? Let's ponder that as we stand and sing this hymn.